Footy Live's AFL Funnels coverage is brought to you by British Paints. Procrastinating on a paint project? The fear of mucking up can strike at any time. Fight the FOMU with British Paints. From first-time painters to seasoned home improvement gurus, you can get a great result on your exterior project with British Paints Four Seasons. It's easy to apply with a finished design to last and last. That's why it comes with a 25-year guarantee. So get started today and fight the FOMU with British Paints. Now, it's time to talk footy. The words of one of my established colleagues, everyone in the sports media business is biased and we are unashamedly show Brian loves his pies. I love the long odds, but what we do need to apologise for is for being wrong. And so, sorry, ladies and gents, we got one wrong last week. We, for that, sincerely apologise. But we will break down the analysis of that wrong match. We will regroup. We will reassess. We will come back with clear vision and hopefully pick you guys two clear winners this weekend's preliminary funnels. And we're going to break down everything we need to break down, including probably his own mental breakdown, is the punter's profit, but also the Pies' number one fan, Big Bustling Baz. How are you doing there, mate? How's it been? A long week of not wanting to talk about the Pies. Yep. Uh... It's that time of year when your football team goes out of finals, but you don't watch any of the football shows um, and you zone out if you do. And that's that's been me. So got it wrong last week with Pinewood, but, it, you know, considering I'm five from six for finals, I think I'm doing it right. Uh, and just, yeah, look, I got that wrong and I, I do apologise. Probably my heart's got in my way and people do say I uh, tend to tip sometimes with my emotions, but the one where I, one time I didn't tip, with the, I actually do always back in the stats, and the one time I didn't was uh, it came back to bite me in the bum. So, do apologise, but you know, we we did say we did talk about it so much last week, and we still didn't go with it. So, we spoke about the problems and what would ha- what could happen. Sorry, and it actually did happen. But yeah, we'll I suppose we'll get to that soon. But yeah, not ideal. Not ideal at all. But as he said, if anyone was actually listening to the pod properly, they would have realised what we were trying to say through inference was. Tip Geelong, tip Geelong, tip Geelong. <laughs> now we just said out loud, tip Collingwood. So, you know, our mistake, yeah. but the smart ones know what to do. Let's get into the analysis of last week. There were two unlucky clubs who come home sad last weekend. What just happened? The bad beats and big wins of the semifinal weekend. We'll start with the other guys. So semifinal number one was Richmond, 12-8-80, defeated St Kilda, 6-13-49. And basically all front half of the year, Saints were lauded for their impeccable goal accuracy and it all came to a tumbling halt against the Tigers last week, albeit a Saints side that was missing a fair chunk of their best players and a few other ones went sadly missing at the wrong time of year. My big question for you though, Baz, is that is it now the time to make a tilt for the flag? So everyone's favourite article this week about St Kilda has been player X is what St Kilda needs to make it work in 2021. Do you agree? Well, first of all, on the game, Ryder out, Carl out, Long out was ma- massive. Like I said last week, I would have tipped St Kilda if those three were playing I reckon if those three played, St Kilda probably would have definitely would have finished a lot closer. But Richmond did look pretty pretty polished and dangerous early. So, and it was probably nerves as well for St Kilda, which might play a part this week again with two inexperienced sides taking on you know two experienced sides going forward for St Kilda. Look, they obviously probably the backline's pretty young and they're going to re-sign Carlos. So I wouldn't don't think they need much there. Their four lines. 
you know, then only get better with King. Does King need help? I think he does, but that's Marshall playing more forward and then hopefully Ryder staying fit. Uh, their midfield is a bit of a concern for mine. I know they've got Jack Steele in there and he's a bit of a bull. He's very Crips-like, but, you know, is he as good as what... I know he's still young and, you know, he, he had a really good year, but I want to see him back that up before we go too hard there. And they've got Hanabry and, he, you know, he's probably playing some really good football, but, you know, he's only probably got a year or two left as well. And for mine, they're, they're a bit like Carlton. I mean, they obviously outdid Carlton this year, but they've got enough talent there, uh, enough young talent. The top end players that are playing their best footy are probably the ones that are, too, are getting old and probably only have a year or two left. So they've probably got one one or two years, in my opinion. I, 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 they've got big midfield issues for mine. So they probably need to grab a few more top line midfielders, midfielders. But then what do you give up for that? Do they go to the draft for the first round pick and get a really good young kid or which might help me out more or do they try and recruit in and top up and does that work? And I think we spoke about this last week of, you know, how many teams have actually gone out there and recruited lots of big free agents has it worked for? Well, everyone said about in the post-match of that game that, you know, why'd they go get Hill if Hill's not going to show up in finals? And in reality, it's just one guy. Like, even if he does have a blinder of a game against Richmond, Richmond probably still wins. So, but we know that Hill is an outside runner who just runs up and down the wings. He doesn't go and get his own ball. Mm. So you need the midfield to get on top and win their own footy for him to be able to get get used. And and they need to you know, he gets it on the outside when the ball gets moving very quickly. So if the midfielders not getting the ball and they weren't, they got smashed at centre bounce, they got smashed at clearances. Then how are they how's he meant to get the footy? So you should need to know the profile of your player that you're getting as well. I think they they thought they'd been a lot more ball and he'd get a lot more of it and be a better player. But at the end of the day, he's also getting older and, you know, he's still an elite footballer, don't get me wrong. You want the ball in his hands at every opportunity, but you got to have those – got to have more than just Jack Steele winning the hard ball inside. So they also looked a bit cooked. Like there was a – in the first quarter, Co- just was running away from um, Butler and, you know, defensive 50. So that's – that you know, generally Butler's the one putting all the full one pressure on. So – the fact that he couldn't go to the Cochin early shows that maybe they weren't as fit and up and about and last week's game took a bit out of him. Who knows? And I suppose it's also, you know, it's the privilege that the Tigers had of being in finals and starting their season later. And every time they've done it in the last four years, they've kind of kicked into gear later and later in the season knowing that they'll do enough to get hopefully top four and then kick on to the finals. And I think St Kilda didn't have that privilege this year. They started off real strong. And, yes, it's only, what, an 18-round season, but still – this year with the travel and everything else that goes with it being a COVID-affected season, they have every right to be cooked and had to play every funnel anyway. So Next year going forward, I haven't missed the eight just from the pure fact that a lot of the sides below are going to get better. Like I reckon Collingwood will get better. We're talking about Fremantle, Gold Coast and Carlton. So teams have to, will be, you know, if they have a bit of bad luck with injuries and players don't have as good as years they have this year because, you know, they're 26, 27 sort of play, age bracket players that are getting you know, had really good years. Do they continue that? Or generally, I mean, history says play, like, look at Tom Phillips. Had a really good breakout year then probably been pretty inconsistent and not as good as he has been the last two seasons. So you see it a lot with players have really good year, one or two years, but then they just drop back to the norm or clubs put a bit extra work into them and they can't, you know, keep repeating that. They're a bit more inconsistent. So 
Um, they need players to step up again next year, especially the young players. So I know how good King is, but he still needs the ball to get to him pretty well for him to um, be dominant. So. so I suppose the four players that I think Saints fans are most excited about going forward would be Max King, Nick Caulfield, Hunter Clark, and Ben Patton, and Rowan Marshall, my apologies. They're the five you're banking on. Are you aiming to try and go for the tilt in the next two to three years, given the profile of the other players around at the, in, at the upper echelon. So you're looking at, you know, your Greshams, your Steels, your Hills, and saying, okay, we need to do it whilst they're in the team. Or do you double down at the draft and say, we'll go for the tilt more realistically in five years' time when, yeah, King, Coffield, Clark, Patton and uh, Marshall are in their prime? I reckon, well, Jack Steele's still 24 or 25, so he's probably still got a few more years left. So, I mean, I reckon if, if, if there's players available around their pick this year that they think is going to help them out long term, you'd be taking them instead of going and getting a, another Brad Hill or a Hanbury. Yeah. I, I, I don't think they're good enough to be, to be winning a flag or winning a final. I don't reckon they're any better than that. They, I don't think they'll be any better next year than they would uh, this year. That's why I have them... You know, they only just made the eight really this year. Had a bit of luck, good injury run. Next year, you know, other teams pushing, same team. Yes, a few players will get better. A few players will drop off, but I don't see them like picking up another three or four wins for the year. Mm-hmm. Unless their draw is really good and we don't know what the draws will look like, obviously, but, um, you know, if they have a dream run with the draw, then they could finish in the eight because they, like, a bit like West Coast this year, they, they First few weeks in the hub, then go back for six weeks and end up playing, you know, some bottom-ranked teams. You know, it could work out pretty well for them. Looking back then, what would you give the Saints' season grade then? Are you giving them a soft pass, strong pass, a, a fail, or an A plus? Well, I'd have missing the eight, so I suppose that's a pass for mine. Yeah, I think it's a strong pass given where they've come. They've they've done what they've wanted, like they've done what they needed to do this year. They played finals, they won a final for the first time in nine years. Yep. That has to be a tick. So, and you know, maybe it's sad that if you're a Saints fan, that's a tick because you're like, well, woohoo, we played finals. But you know, there are fans out there like Essendon that haven't done that in a very long time. So, got to take the little wins when they come. That's what we learned this year in COVID. Take the little wins when they come. I'll tell you what the difference is between a big club and a small club, and that's celebrating the little things. Celebrating making finals, and being proud of their what they've achieved, and then you have Collingwood and um, West Coast and that who have supporters irate and having a deep dive into what went wrong. And that's, and, uh, you know, that could get into players' heads as well. And we've seen that with Melbourne, um, you know, made a prelim and thought they were eating a bit and the, the fans were so happy about it and everything, but it's not, it's not uh, good enough. If you're a big club and you're a proper club and you're like, well, that's no, it's, yeah, we're disappointed. We're not proud or anything. Like, yeah, good. We got here, but you know, it's disappointed at the end of this way and we want to get better. So, um, it's interesting how that all happens with certain clubs, isn't it? It is. And that's a great segue from you, Baz, and that's why we do one of the best in the business. Semi-final number two, Geelong, 15-10, 100 points, defeated Collingwood 5-2, And really the Pies picked the worst possible time to deliver their worst performance of 2020. And as you said, Collingwood's a big club and that has left Buckley, Pies fans, SEN Talkback and yourself with plenty of soul-searching and thinking to do all of this off season. So my question to you, like, there's no point doing a review on that game. Collingwood was cooked. That thing was over within about two minutes. There's nothing really to gather from that. 
my question to you is, are you closer or further away after this year from your next grand final? I won't say premiership because the collie wobbles are a thing. So we'll just focus on grand finals. Are you closer or further away to your next grand final? I reckon we're still pretty close. We've got to people forget how young our list is. Well, you do not. You mention it a lot. So, well, you think about going through our backline like more uh, noble, Quainer, um, you know, even Ruffy, you know, those sorts of blokes. Like um, they're not, they're not like Magden. They're not old. They're all in their mid to early twenties. Our midfield is the same. You know, you've got uh, Dacos running through there. Uh, Cal Brown, Tyler Brown all played this year. They'll only get better. Um, you know, Penrith's probably got a couple of years left, but you've got know, Trelaw Adams. You know, they've still got like five, six, seven years left. And you go through our four line, you know, obviously Cox is probably the old one out, but I think my check's only, what, 26, 27. Uh, Josh Thomas, oh, I don't think he'll be around much longer, but, you know, he's mid-20, mid to late 20s. Um I mean, Maynard's still only, you know, mid-20s as well. So a lot of, we're in that sort of hot spot for, really, and we've still got young kids coming through, like obviously Quayna we've seen. We pick up McInnes this year as a, as a um, academy player, as a top 10, you know, draft pick. We pick up uh, Nick Dacos, who's, you know, touted to be number one next year. So, you know, things are looking pretty good for Collingwood and we just need to find that that key forward, that forward target. And, you know, obviously we've got Will Kelly, who Buck said would have played all year if he didn't got an injury, and that was good. And we saw um, Trey Rusco, and there's a few other kids there that are pretty handy that we haven't seen yet. Like, even Nathan Murphy, I, I still can't believe he didn't get a game this year. Like, it, it, it's absolutely baffling to my, for mine. Uh, I know he's had a lot of injury issues and niggles and stuff. He hasn't really got himself 100% fit the time he's been at Collingwood, but he's got one more year left in his contract, and his ball use is unreal, and he's a, he's a bit of a tall – like, he probably played a bit tall too, so – I think our biggest issue going forward is going forward, funnily enough. Um, we focus so much on defence that, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we just can't score. And it's a big issue. And Bucks you know, talked about the post-game uh, presser about, you know, high half forwards and um, forwards, a key forward. He also mentioned wings, which I found, which I found weird because I, I think I mean, if you play Tyler Brown, Cal Brown and Dacos, I reckon our wings look all right. Obviously, he wants a, one wing to be a, a bit taller so it can, it can go push back and intercept Mark, and that's probably Tyler Brown. That's why Maynard uh, – not Maynard, sorry. Um, Main played there a bit when he came back in the finals. But I reckon Dacos has had a breakout year in a wing, and Phillips have played in the wing previously. So, um, yeah, it's interesting that one one wings are generally a, a attacking wing, and the other ones are more a defensive wing. So that's probably why he wants that bigger, taller wing wingman on the other wing. But yeah, I, we just need a forward. But Bucks has asked this during the week, and he disagreed. So basically, you know, the two that are floating around is a Ben Brown or a Jeremy Cameron could be lured out of GDOS, and he basically shut it all down and said uh, Mason Cox has played that sort of role for us and has been a bit of a target in front of the ball all season and then made reference to Tom Hawkins and Charlie Dixon saying, if you got one of those two guys, then you're doing better than most. But basically his, his opinion is that they don't exist. Like, there is no other Tom Hawkins. There is no other Charlie Dixon. So why bother lusting over one? You can go to the draft. They don't exist there. They take too long to develop. We've got a tall bloke who happens to be American. He'll clunk a few. We'll just deal with that. But then like, that's the part where everything about the list dynamics seems to make sense. You said they've got heaps of young guys, you've got heaps of stars, you've got great backline, you've got decent 
to deep midfield with still elite stars who've got enough years left in them, good wingers, but not much up forward. Why is this? Why is there suddenly like a almost Luke Beveridge like um, allergy to tall forwards from Bucks's system? So he said that before the game, though, because after the game, he, he talked about how we need to recruit forwards, and he was asked about um, Brown and um, Cameron McCartan, McCartan, and he said that they were uh, not; they wouldn't suit the game style. Someone like Jeremy Cameron would. And that's where all the talk came from that Collingwood are going to hunt Jeremy go Cameron. Yeah, Jeremy Cameron. And to be honest, like if we lost to Goey and Trelaw, I don't reckon that'd be the biggest, like. Yeah, they're good players, don't get me wrong. But I, if Tagoe left, I don't have any issue with Tagoe leaving. I wouldn't be upset or annoyed about that. I think um, Tagoe fits in that stringer category. You can Like, he's great to have, but he's not going to win you. He's not going to win as many games as you probably should. He should win you. Trelaw, I absolutely disagree with. Trelaw is, like, your second best midfielder. Yeah, but he's missed big chunks of the last few years because of hamstring injuries. So how long before that becomes a big issue, if we can get pick five and pick six for him or, or whatever, then I, I reckon that's a I reckon that's a pretty good deal. And and like, don't get me wrong, I love Troy, he's a good player, but like I said, he's had his hamstring issues, he's had groin issues when he was younger. I don't, like, I don't have, see him having a massive long career. And if he loses that burst of speed that he has, that then that takes away his big strength as a, as a footballer. And I don't really see him playing anywhere else. Like He's not a sort of player who can go play half forward or half back because his kicking's horrible. And he's not a bloke that generally scores a lot of goals. So to get a pick for, uh, five or six for him and whatever else we can get, I reckon that's – like if Gold Coast came to us and said, hey, here's Peter Wright or Will Brody plus pick five or pick six for Trelaw, I'd take that in a heartbeat. And to go, he'd have to leave as well. He'd have to get traded out. So, again, we'd get a first-round pick for him probably two because and clubs are happy to spend the money on him, but they're not because they're all – the goalie reminds me a bit of like Dusty. Remember when Dusty went around shopping for a better contract and he realised the market wasn't really there for him? Mm. And then he went back to Richmond and, and then changed himself completely. I'm hoping that the goalie does that. But if he does leave, then like I said, he's a stringer. And we have, again, we get a we get a pick top-end pick for him and we go back to the draft and we got lots of young talent. Or we use those picks to get in a, a key four, like a Jeremy Cameron or... A, you know, if we get, I don't reckon we want Peter Wright because I reckon he's too tall and immobile. Like he's not. Do we get a mixed day even? Like, you know, would he, he would he come to our club and benefit from a different change of culture and different look at a game plan and be the number one man instead of have a hip hood and Charlie Cameron around him? So I think we need to get, also get some forward pressure in that forward and change a bit of our game style to more of a front half sort of team because. We set up pretty well defensively, but you know, I think the way the game's trending, we need to a, move the ball quicker, which we started to do at the end of the year, and um, be, be a bit more front half, which we're not very good at. So I think I think we'll fix that. I think this year will be kind of good for the players a bit. Hopefully, no hub life next year because I think that really affected blokes like a like Grundy, who's a bit of a free spirit. Like mm-hmm. he loves football, but loves to get out of, away from football and do all his own things when he's not training and stuff. And being in that in that hub sort of life, I reckon sort of didn't suit his life and being in that little, uh, you know, football bubble full-time didn't help him out. And I reckon he was injured as well, 100%. Nothing's come out and they won't say anything, but he wasn't 100% either. So I reckon we're a top four next year still, uh, given our list scope, our list um, profile. But 
I'd want to get a Ford in before I, I'd want to reevaluate come March and hopefully how and um, side bottom, side bottom come in. But, you know, we don't talk about how, how many players we used every player by one on our list this year. So we had a lot of injuries, a lot of issues, and we're still able to make, you know, second week of finals, which is pretty good. But again, as a Collingwood fan and what you're used to and what you you live and die by, it's not a flag and it's not finals win, so it's not good enough. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty much my summary for the season grade. I reckon it's an, actually an A-plus effort year for Collingwood. And if they were allowed to, use, allowed to use excuses, you'd say heaps of injuries, hub life, la-da-da-da. But as you've said a thousand times on this podcast, every club does that. So you've got to make do with what you've got. A-plus for effort, but probably a soft fail for the season because really – Especially the way it ended. Yeah. You don't want to lose games like that. And we saw what happened to Melbourne. Not that Collingwood is anywhere, anything like Melbourne, but when you get beat up bad in finals, it can have – we saw what happened to GWS. We saw what happened to Adelaide. When you get beat up bad in funnels, it can have a long-lasting effect. I don't think it will on this group, and I think Buck's too good of a coach for that. But, you know, I've, I've mentioned a lot in the last few weeks about – Finals uh, causing bad scars for clubs. And I think it's only West Coast is the only team to get flogged in a final and not have a couple of years where it really stung them and uh, caused issues and they dropped down the ladder. So, uh, yeah, let's hope that Collingwood can do the same. Yes. So I'm in the top eight next year. Not as bullish as you. And I'm not going to say top four, but love to see some uh, optimism from a Pies fan for once. So good on you, Vance. Enough navel gazing and on to the predictions. Finals week three, preliminary finals weekend. Traditionally, the best footy is played on this weekend over two days, usually in September, but this year in October. And it starts Friday at 7.40. Port Adelaide are $1.80 favourites. Richmond, $2 outsiders at the Adelaide Oval. The line here is a slender two and a half points. The over-under is a lowish 115. The minor premiers take on the reigning premiers. And for once this year, the minor premiers are actually respected by the bookies. But do you see them going off to Gabba in two weeks' time? I do. I really, really do. This is going to be an unbelievable game, by the way. Mm. Like last last week, I thought John Collins would be a really good game. And <laughs> both games turned out to be absolute fizzes. Yeah. This is going to be unreal. Like in front of a crowd that are very vocal and passionate Port fans, and we know what they're like. We've watched it enough on TV. We're going to hear them enough against a team that probably doesn't really cop it like that very often. They're generally, it's generally the other way around because of you playing in front of a big vocal Richmond crowd. So it's a good game to watch. Um, I really, I, the midfield battle is interesting because the big mids of Port, they're going to win the contested ball and the clearances, which Richmond have really struggled at all year. But in finals, they actually have Richmond have dominated that. So they beat Brisbane and they smashed St Kilda. Let's ignore the St Kilda stats. But they beat but Brisbane. They, so is Brisbane's midfield not as big as Port Adelaide's? No, they beat Brisbane in a quarter and a bit, then they got smashed the next two and a half quarters. But overall, they still won the numbers. The numbers yeah, for the whole game would suggest. What, only because of what happened early. But Hey, if they do the same thing as Port Adelaide, if they, if they smash them early and then Port Adelaide's playing catch-up, then it's well, still, that's, that's how they win a game of football. We also... We also talked about how Brisbane actually kind of let Richmond win that first possession and it was the secondary that they crunched them on because they mm. don't usually win that. They actually wait for the ball to spill out and then go. Yeah. So that's what I'm a bit worried about with 
you know, the port players. But I I know, you know, you've got to hear about the lack of size down back for port. But if they win the footy and put that fourth half pressure on, it doesn't matter how how big or small the defenders are. It's the, the, really, you just got to slow the ball down when it comes out of your, your, your forward 50. Mm. When they're transitioning, if you can slow the ball down, it doesn't matter how big or small your defenders are because it allows you to get numbers back to help out. Yeah. And they did that really well in the second half against Richmond last time they played with Hartlett. And I, I don't rec- I don't see it being a problem at all. And they did it really well against Geelong as well. Sorry, it was Hartlett, sorry, against Geelong last time. So I don't really really see it being a problem. Uh, I do see it being a problem that how easy that you know Richmond have been able to score against. Even you know, last week, St Kilda had a lot of scoring shots still. They didn't make it count. Um, they had enough inside 50s as well. And, and, and the same against Brisbane the week before. So and we know that Port are a high-scoring team and they generally score when they go forward. So Richmond have to do it going the other way. And I don't reckon they'll be as easy to score against as they were last time they played when you know Richmond were able to just get, walk inside 50 and, and convert. I reckon they'll be, they'll be that easy because the pressure will be too intense. for. I just, re, I just The pressure rating in this game is going to be through the roof. But I just, I just think that Port have too much in the midfield, too much strength, the rucks... Are, you know, Laddams and, and Lysette are going to be too much for Nankervis. Uh, and I know he played pretty well last week, Nank, but really against Brisbane, they got shown up the ruck duo. So I just reckon that Port are going to have too much all around the ground um, and just be too strong. And there's something about Port this year, their, their anniversary, the way they've been speaking, the way they've set themselves, and they're, they're going to be yeah really, really hard to beat. Yes, and so interesting there, I I was playing devil's advocate a little bit there around the clearance stats for the Lions, but the most important stat that we need to mention here isn't the clearance differential, it's what you do with those clearances. So the Tigers were outscored by 21 points from clearance chains against the Lions in week one of the funnels, their worst differential of any game in 2020, including when they got towed up by, by Port early in the season. And so I think that's kind of the, that's kind of the blueprint for Port, is it? Don't worry about winning every clearance, but just make sure when you do break Richmond, you break him clean and then you score against them heavily. And as you've said all year, that is the weakness. If you can get outside, and we did see against um, against St Kilda last week, is that Richmond will just have that have that not a web, but that secondary coating around the stoppage when they're playing really well allows them to contain teams in in a rolling scrimmage essentially, keep everything random, and then they just surge forward with all with all intent. If Port can break that, though, then, yeah, they, they can do what, what Brisbane did to Richmond in week one. And they've got some really dangerous small fours and big fours. So, you know, Marshall probably plays and he did really well with one shoulder against Shalom. Just got a dangerous mix. And Richmond have been pretty easy to score against again this year. So, I mean, like I said, if, if St Kilda take their chances, who knows what last week would have looked like in that second half. So, it's a bit concerning for mine. You know, how often do we see teams... You don't really see teams go three weeks through finals. The only other thing that I worry about is that every game so far, this final series, except for the St Kilda Western Bulls game, has been the opposite result from the home and away season. Mm. So does this mean that Richmond win just based on that fact? Well, the other fun fact, as I mentioned before, was that Richmond haven't lost the same side twice in a season since they've won the Premiership in 2017. There you go. Anyway, I'm still tipping Port. And people are going to say it's a hate tip, but I'm sorry. I was thinking Port are the better team. And 
three weeks in a row where you got blokes, you know, who have missed big chunks of the season uh, in finals like pressure. They could be could get found out a bit this week, and maybe you know they got they they lifted a lot last week. They're under the pump after their first week loss, and again we talk about what happened with Collingwood last week, and it, it does happen. You, you use the mental side of things. You get yourself psyched up and pumped up to come out and firing and. It can have an effect the second week. And to be honest, a couple of those goals that you guys kicked, a bit like Geelong early, a couple of goals that Shire Bolton and that kicked, he could have another 50 goes at those and you might kick it one more time. So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens anyway. Indeed. I think Port Adelaide playing at home in this cannot be understated, I don't think. As you mentioned, it's it's the, the shoes on the other foot for Richmond for the first time in a very long time playing away in a big funnel without their crowd. Meanwhile, Port Adelaide have won seven of their eight games at Adelaide Oval this year. Playing that in a funnel is going to be a very significant boost to them. And we've already said that everything else, the mentality of Ken Hinckley this year has already been like, we need to get the job done. They are focusing on the grand funnel. There are no excuses club, which we've both loved this year. They've played a stellar football that has been proven to work since round one. They have been on top of the ladder and yet everyone keeps trying to make some reason as to why some other club is the better club this year in 2020. It doesn't make much sense. They create the most scoring shots. Yes, they're inaccurate, but if you look at statistical analysis, accuracy and goal kicking doesn't matter. It has never mattered. I'd rather be a team that creates 25 chances than a team that kicks 10 goals too. And that's what Port Adelaide do. And so I'm with Port this week as well. We've said since round six, it's going to be a Port Adelaide-Brisbane final that's what I'm backing in. Not to jump the shark on the next tip, but that's what we're backing in. Poor Adelaide to win against the Tigers. Come at us, haters. Saturday, 7.40. Brisbane are $1.74. Favourites Geelong, $2.10 outsiders at the Gabba. Three and a half point line and over under of one twenty. And yet again, Brisbane. Everyone's telling them that they choke in finals, that they throw away goals, that they can't do it, that they're too young, too inexperienced. And in week one, they turn up and they basically get the job done and they get it done clinically. Was it an obliteration? Absolutely not. But it was a comfortable win by a top two side and they finished top two for a very good reason. Meanwhile, Geelong didn't get the job done against Port despite having plenty of good looks. And then they obviously come up and have a free hit against Collingwood last week. But everyone in the media, not the bookies, however, but everyone in the media keeps telling us that Geelong has been the best team all year. They've been, you know, one of the better teams for the last four years. Is there any angle here that leans you towards Geelong or are you going with your own stats, your own knowledge and the history of the whole 2020 season that suggests that Brisbane at home is better than Geelong away? 100% Brisbane. Both get, both these games, because obviously you've got experienced finals teams in Geelong and Richmond playing inexperienced finals teams in Brisbane and Port in such a big game. The first five or so minutes is going to be so crucial. If, say, Richmond get away or Geelong get away, it's going to be a big, big mental hurdle for Brisbane and Port to overcome. And I reckon that was a bit like last week when Tui lined up for that goal early and he put it through the middle. And they were a bit cleaner around the round. Collingwood just dropped off and Collingwood weren't there last week. And again, Geelong got themselves right up for that game. They spoke about it all week during the media. Uh, even their training, which was meant to be closed, but they did allow some cameras and a few journos in there to say that they got around each other. They were all high-fiving and just a lot of support. You know, Jack Stephen was running laps and just yelling out, like, you know, keep going. Like just stuff, 
to every one of the players and they play like a little scratch match and every time I play kick the goal they're all up and about like so obviously that I don't know if they do that all year like it's never been reported so I, you know I'm kind of just guessing that it's happened in the last week or so because of the pressure they're under for finals so Everyone keeps talking about how Patrick Dangerfield's the best player in the comp and won everything but a premiership medal. So it, I reckon it just adds to that pressure. And obviously, um, Gary Ablett's last game if they lose. But then you also got Brisbane under pressure as well. You know, first prelim in so long. And I mean, good all year. They finished second on the ladder. Uh, home crowd. But I I really like, we saw Danger play forward a lot on the weekend. And Collingwood's midfield were tr- atrocious. I can't see them allowing him sitting forward with Brisbane's midfield, especially if they get on top early. Their rucks are just absolutely killing it. And I know, obviously, Reece Stanley copped a knock, and you know, I think he's still, they reckon he's still going to play, but he's 50-50. And I know Sal would actually trained properly this week with proper ball handling and everything, but still, he's got to worry about his finger. Yeah, and I just think there's got too much around the ground. And obviously, Harris Andrews has another two weeks to recover and, they're going to be at full strength, Brisbane, and they're going to be fresh, ready to go. Like, so if they can, if they can just get off to a good start, like they did against Richmond uh, two weeks ago, and, and now an early goal where and don't have the the yips in front of goal and get rid of that pressure, then I reckon they're going to be flying. And they just they do move the ball well, move the ball quickly, which will just expose Geelong in their defensive half where. Unless they get the players back to help each other out, they're a bit slow. With and we saw that against Port Adelaide, we saw how slow they were against Port Adelaide with the small forwards. They got on top, you know, Motlops, your Grays and stuff. And Brisbane have, I reckon, just some of the best. You know, McCarthy and Cameron, like those, and Rain. Like they're just built for this sort of stuff. So, and I, and I reckon they would have taken a lot of learnings out, out early in the year when Geelong pretty much beat them up, even though. If you go back and watch that game that first half and didn't look at the scores, you would have thought Brisbane would be up at halftime. So, but also, when was that? Where was that game played in round six? Was it the SCG? It was at the it? SCG, which is basically Skilled Stadium, a weird, tiny field where Geelong can play Geelong style football. Yeah, and it covers up their their flaws. All year we have told people that Brisbane and Port are top two for a reason. They play dynamic, ballistic front half football. That's the system that works this year. When that system has been put up against a team that plays slow, deliberate, methodic football, the ballistic football wins. Collingwood flipped it on their head in week one against West Coast. West Coast committed to their slow style football. Collingwood played ballistic football. Collingwood won. We can go back through every single game this year, and if it was being a fast team versus a slow team, I think it's like 80% of the time the fast team won. That's not going to change this week just because it's a plenary final and suddenly experience and all these other intangibles apparently should cloud our decision-making when it comes to who wins a game of football. Yes, there's some pressure. Yes, it's a big occasion, but Fagan's a good coach. Kenny Hinckley's a good coach. Well, you know, so is Chris Scott and so is Dima Hardwick. All the players will just approach this realistically as a normal game of football. The the thing is, well, I've I've, I've kept an ear out this week, but I've tried to keep away from footy shows, but... I, don't, I, I haven't heard a lot from Kenny Hinckley or Fagan, but I hear a lot from Scott and Harwick. Mm. So uh, from, I just love that little, just a little bit extra, a bit of motivation. So no, we're just worried about ourselves. We finished top two for a reason. We're just going to worry about ourselves. You give all the pawns and all the credit to these two teams. That's fine. And just use that with the players a little bit, you know, a bit of a mindset. And just, yeah, just, I just hope that both teams come out and settle 
I reckon it does play a big part, the experience factor in finals football. But then there's also big time players that just love the moment. And I reckon Lockie Neal and Hipwood and those sorts of players live for that. I reckon Port have more big time love the moment players. Like I just love Butters and Rose and Dersmer and those sorts of boys like Boak and Gray they just, and Wines and Power Pepper. Just, they're them. I love watching Port. They're probably my second team at the moment. As frustrating as they have been for the last few years, they're just great to watch footy wise and Brisbane the same. And, I know what styles of footy I'd much rather be watching on the weekend uh, in a grand final and it'd be brought uh, Port and Brisbane and I'm hoping they both get the job done. So I've stuck fat all year with the two these two teams and I'm not jumping off now. I've got some good multis going with Lockie Neal to win the Brownlow for both these teams to win the flag. So let's uh, let's keep on rolling with those. Absolutely. One final little betting tidbit to let people in here is that fourth and second have played in plenary funnels Six times since 2000, and second has won six zip. You finish in the top two for a reason. Geelong finished outside the top two for a reason. Brisbane to win at home and to play in a home grand final in about eight days' time. Making time, our feature bets for the preliminary final weekend. And Baz, do you have any action? I would usually try and tee you up for a best bet, but I feel like you might have narrowed your spectrum this week to keep it safe, considering you've uh, made some profits early in the finals. Well, yeah, first week in the finals, I've dominated. Anyway, uh, that's <laughs> that's in the past now. Uh, Port into Brisbane, pretty easy multi for th- about three bucks. Uh, in both games for props, I, I look over over 15 possessions for like your Carl Armand's uh, Woke, sorry, Woke, <laughs> Boke, <laughs> Wines, Sam Powell Pepper and Robbie Gray to kick a goal. And in the Brisbane game, generally there's some markets out there. If you can't, just multi them together. Both Rayner and Cameron and McCarthy or to kick one goal. If you can find them to where they... Some I think points bet generally do it if they can if they can you can get a special mark even sports bet where you can get uh, Cameron and Rain after sc- score three or four more goals so either or either whatever if you can find it or even if you can get them both over one and a half or two and a half or whatever I reckon both those two are going to score multiple goals against uh, Geelong because it just goes back to what Port did uh, a few weeks ago very very nice all right so I'm going obviously for Port into Brisbane as well. So each of those singly is my best. And then if I get a little bit more value, you roll them in as a multi. But then I've got some kooky stuff. I love my quarter by quarters. This this one is going to be pretty kooky. So Richmond have won their first quarter in each of their last seven matches. But I still think Port Adelaide is going to win the preliminary final. So Richmond to win the first quarter, but Port Adelaide to win is paying five bucks. Look at the Geelong game and Geelong have won the first quarter in their last 10 matches at the Gabba, but I still think Brisbane's going to win. So I think Geelong to win the first quarter, Brisbane to win, that's paying $5 as well. So roll them both together, Richmond to win the first, Geelong to win the first, but Port Adelaide and Brisbane to win, it gives you a big old roughie paying $26.25. Love it. will be a fun little weekend if that gets up. That's the end of our preliminary preview. But if we've missed anything or you want to just give us a little hat tip, you can... Talk to us on Twitter. We're at WATOS pod. That is what are the odds pod. And if our tips made you some cash, 
or this banterous little hour or so kept you entertained during your COVID lockdown or your COVID safe freedom. If you live in a different state, then uh, give some thanks on your podcast player by leaving a comment and a five-star review. And uh, enjoy a stress-free weekend of football watching, Baz, now that your team is out of the race. Yeah, well, still got some... Just uh, I'm going to go back to a bit of history here and... Uh, look, it's probably going to backfire me doing this, but I'm going to head wobble a little bit. We've got Caulfield Cup and the Everest on the weekend. So I thought just a little bit extra, um, my top four for both races. Um, so Caulfield Cup first, we'll go number seven, 11, 13, and number 10. Um, so Warning, Prince of Iran, uh, Master of Wine, and Very Elegant. So probably be a wet track. And for the Everest, I love, I've, I've got a bit of a, an, a, you know, a, a love affair with Tafani. So I'm going to chuck that in to be winning. Uh, with old mate Nature Strip, Chris Waller's a king of uh, third up, setting a horse for this race or for a race in particular. Um, obviously, Jai Trash as well. And I really don't, don't mind a bit of um, a people whack especially with the early speed. So those are my four for um, the Everest as well. So number one, uh, six, seven, and ten. There you go. Something to keep you entertained on your Saturday afternoon and a cheeky little pilot there for Baz as he applies for racing.com's spare analyst position. Yeah.